Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Playbridge podcast. Today, we are joined by Adela Jamal. She is the general partner and co-founder at Milemark Capital, an early stage venture capital firm investing in diverse teams using applied AI to rewrite existing business models. Prior to Milemark, Adela was an executive director with Sony and received her MBA from MIT. Adela also currently serves on the steering committee for the All Rays Los Angeles chapter. So welcome. So excited to have you on the show today. Thanks, Griffin. I'm so glad to be here. Um, so you are currently the managing partner and co-founder co-founder of Milemark Capital. Can you start out by just giving us some background on what Milemark Capital is? Sure, sure. Happy to. So Milemark Capital is a new VC uh, firm. And we're based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. For those of you who've been out there to the East Coast, totally different from the West Coast, but um, absolute gem. And I would certainly call it an innovative hub. Um, so we focus on early stage tech companies. So thinking of those um, really early stage um, companies who are building with three things. And I actually like to think of a Venn diagram. So think of applied AI. Um, think of innovation hubs, so the MIT, Harvard's, and of course, you know, other hubs around uh, the nation, and then also diversity. So with those three things in mind, we're really at the bullseye, the center of it. And while we are sector agnostic, I like to say, you know, we are focusing on sectors of significance. And that really comes to health tech, ag tech, um, fintech, even biomaterials, really thinking of sectors that are primed for innovation. And we're seeing also a lot of movement. Do you want to help us even better understand the thesis by sharing maybe one or two portfolio companies that your team has invested in? Sure. So um, one of the companies that I you know, like to share in this example is Piction Health. And the reason for that is because I think people can very quickly relate um, to the problem that they're solving and also probably know someone who's um, you know, been sort of trying to figure out like what skin rash or skin disease they have. So um, Piction Health was started by Susan Conover. She is the founder and um, CEO. And she herself was actually diagnosed with melanoma three times. And through her personal experience and her personal sort of health challenges, she very quickly realized that, you know, getting really good um, access and good care is very, very difficult. And if you don't get to a dermatologist in time, um, it really could be a matter of life and death. And so going through her own sort of, you know, challenges there, she was, you know, able to spin up Fiction Health, which helps to very quickly um, and very accurately um, get that initial diagnosis. So where you might be waiting six months for the in-person doctor's appointment with Piction, you know, you're getting a 48 hour turnaround. And when you go in to see a dermatologist, you're probably getting, you know, uh, the sort of initial screening and diagnosis with, you know, 50% uh, of accuracy, but using computer vision and their technology, which is built on proprietary data sets, you're getting results with 93% accuracy. So it was very, very, you know, easy to understand that they were first solving a really important problem and then layering that with AI. And we absolutely have, you know, just loved seeing how the team has um, sort of expanded. I think they just saw their, you know, thousandth patient. They've now partnered with insurance groups out on the East Coast. And we're just excited to be, you know, backing them. And of course, a big play on diversity, not only with their team, but also integrating with diverse skin tones. Very important problem to be solving for. I don't know if you saw the recent news that came out around the reporting on cancer diagnoses and younger people under the age of 50 has like 
really skyrocketed, I guess, in the mm-hmm. past decade. So very scary and definitely needs solutions like fiction to solve and catch those right. things early. That's right. amazing. And it's also it's also great timing, right? Because you think of the access that we have now, everyone's got a smartphone, a smart device, but you know, a decade, two decades ago, it, it just wasn't even an option. And so I think we're going to see, you know, more um, companies are evolving um, with that sort of technology lens in mind. And, and I think it's, it's absolutely, you know, timely. Definitely. So tell us more about the Milemark co-founding team. How and why did you guys come together to start Milemark Capital? Sure. So I was, you know, very fortunate to actually meet my, my co-founders while I was at MIT. And three out of the four of us um, were actually classmates. Um, we all did the Sloan Fellows MBA program together. And then our fourth partner is a current Sloan uh, professor. And, you know, I say that we were also fortunate because we sort of took, all three of us took, a, you know, a step aside from our careers. And this is coming after you know, like 20 years of work experience to do the program. Whereas I would say you're more um, sort of, um, you know, standard MBA programs um, would be catering to folks who are maybe in their 20s and have a couple years of work experience. But it's really important when you think of, you know, having 20 years and then sort of pivoting and then thinking about, okay, well, you've had a couple of jumps and what do you want to do next? It gives you a lot of um, time to be intentional. And if you can sort of bake in that intentional pause like we did, um, we were able to then sort of circle around the idea of, okay, well, we see a big gap in the VC landscape. We see that teams do not look like us. Um, I've seen, you know, VCs and startups for, you know, two decades um, being, you know, in and out of um, Silicon Valley. And so we were very, you know, quickly able to understand that there really is this new wave of entrepreneurship and we're not seeing them supported in the way that we think that they should be. And we really wanted to fill that void. And also ultimately, you know, just to be so, you know, kind of just like philosophical about it, like, we wanted to leave that mark on the world. We wanted to really think about doing something that was going to make a lasting difference and build something of significance and Malmark was going to be it. Um, tell us more about your career before BC. Give us that perspective of where you're coming from as sure. an investor. So, so for me, it was interesting, you know, um, and I'm sure we'll we'll get into this in, in this conversation, but I, coming out of, you know, undergrad in, in a business background, um, actually took my first official job, let's call it, with a startup. And at the time, you know, early 2000s, it was pretty rare to do that. I remember friends even just asking and family just saying, you know, well, you're going to get a real job. I mean, what is this this whole startup about? And it's funny because if I hadn't taken that first sort of leap and, you know, said, why not? Um, it wouldn't have opened the doors, which, you know, ultimately ended up then being working for an incubator, a large um, incubator in the Bay Area you know, supporting 400 startups under one roof, it wouldn't have gotten me into, you know, consulting and working with um, big tech companies. And then also eventually being, you know, an executive working for Sony Pictures in Los Angeles. And I share that, you know, having the experiences and also working at the various sizes of companies sort of give me the understanding of, you know, what that landscape looks like, what the companies need at each of those turns. Um, and, you know, most of my friends have usually started out in like one or two industries and sort of stay there their whole career. Um, but for me, just being really curious led me to ultimately realizing, you know, really in the midst of COVID, when a lot of people were reassessing what they wanted to do, um, I was really aware that, you know, there's more happening at the intersection of innovation, um, finance, tech, and diversity. And I wanted to go out there and do something different. And I felt as though I was sort of hitting a wall with, you know, what I was doing currently and really itching to make that pivot. 
Um, but for me, you know, just having that journey and really being able to leverage um, all the connections and the network um, prior to the MBA, prior to making a big pivot was, you know, I would say really, really fortunate. Um, but I always like to peel it back and understanding what was that first experience that kicked it off. And and I always share, you know, with girlfriends, with other people that I talk to that um, I like to sort of think about, you know, um, what would happen if you said yes? And, you know, what would happen if you consistently challenge yourself? To that point, we walk us through kind of those different pivots over the course of your career from startup to working in an incubator to going back to a bigger company like Sony. Like what were your takeaways from each of those different experiences and why did you make each of those changes? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll say just kind of stepping back a little bit, everything was really based off of, you know, my foundation, right? And for me personally, I was born and raised in India. Father is South Indian, mother's white American. Um, my upbringing was, let's call it just unconventional, um, very unique, you know, for that time period and maybe even now. So I was able to grow up between India and the U.S. And so my view of the world, my understanding of, you know, just also being like a woman um, in the workplace was was really different. And even though it was really challenging, you know, during those early years, now I think back and I'm actually, you know, very grateful um, for that awareness at an early age, for the ability to, you know, have a father who's um, an engineer and an entrepreneur and just like you know, what I sort of took for granted, you know, like dinner table talk is a little bit different when um, that's who your parent is. Um, my mother is an educator and, you know, very big into women's advancement. And that was in India in the 19, you know, 70s. Um, but all of that sort of, you know, I think was ingrained in me that there are different opportunities out there. And so, as I mentioned a moment ago, my first job was working for VC and working for a, a tech startup in Palo Alto. And that was by way of, you know, introduction through someone that I knew who said there's opportunity and Della, they're looking for someone who is, you know, organized and driven, et cetera. And I just said, yeah, you know, I, I think I could fit the bill and let's go, let's go try it out. Um, but that was the first sort of taste of, okay, well, here's, you know, here's a role. And I was director of operations and really just did everything for the company. And I got to see, you know, what goes into the day to day, um, what goes into hiring, bringing on partners, um, trying to, you know, uh, double and triple our numbers, um, trying to generate revenue. And it was almost, I would say, like a mini MBA because you had to do everything and you had to learn. But again, because of my upbringing, I think I was able to lean very heavily on, OK, I've seen, you know, what this has looked like um, in the family business. I've seen, you know, what it's uh, what it means to have really important and really, you know, um, great essential relationships, like how important is networking? And I leveraged that. And I would say that's probably got, you know, what got me to that next jump, which was working for the tech center, uh, the plug and play tech center in the Bay Area. It was through someone I met through that ecosystem. And I was always very curious about understanding what that next layer of business looks like. So for the startup, of course, you know, very young, um, very loose as far as, you know, rigor and um, sort of structure. And then I sort of took a, a step up, which was, okay, well, here's an incubator and you're seeing now hundreds of startups, but you're also seeing, you know, how they're housed and how the machine sort of operates around them, that ecosystem. And then that led into consulting, which was, okay, now you're going to have sort of this really cool opportunity to be, you know, pointed and plugged into the the larger organizations, right? Thinking of like big tech and just thinking of more established companies. But then also getting a lens into, okay, well, you know, let's look at cost centers. Let's look at the basics um, uh, and different aspects that, you know, we just didn't have in, in the younger companies. 
And then ultimately, when I got down to Los Angeles, um, I was able to leverage that background. And a recruiter, in fact, reached out and said, you know, we want someone who's entrepreneurial, but you're going to be in a corporate setting. And just think of like how how interesting and unique that is that you're being hired into a corporate function, but they want you to be entrepreneurial minded um, and to find that fit with someone who had a tech background, who understood um, finance, who understood, you know, technology landscape, and then also happened to be international um, was tremendous because ultimately working with Sony Pictures wasn't just Sony Pictures. It was also duly reporting and working on one Sony, which was PlayStation, music, electronics, um, and very international. And so I always say that, you know, I think I sort of like fell forward and I encourage other people to do the same thing. Um, you might not have a plan, but just try to fall forward and see where you land. Yeah. How did you come across the Sony opportunity? Because it is very rare to find a larger company that is looking for such a entrepreneurial startup mm -hmm. mindset. So it was an interesting um, opportunity and also interesting timing. I had been looking because um, I'd moved down to Los Angeles for personal reasons. Um, I was, you know, open to sort of making that pivot and was in a position where I could sort of, you know, cast a wider net. And I think oftentimes we just, we don't end up doing that, right? We end up just looking for the same type of role, keeping it really safe. And it was just through a connection that someone saw that I was, you know, looking for a new opportunity. And, um, they had mentioned that I had this, you know, very interesting sort of diverse background and diverse experience, um, which, you know, led to this introductory call, but it was something that, you know, I never plan for. I thought it would have been a very short stint, right? Absolutely, you know, enjoyed the experience, ended up making, you know, even till till date, some of the best people. Um, I gained some incredible mentors um, from my time there. And then it also helped me, you know, lean more into all the diversity work that I was doing, which was women in technology and different platforms, different e-bridges, and really offered me that launch pad, which ultimately was MIT. Amazing. So I get a ton of questions about why the MBA. I would love to hear from you. Why did you decide to pursue your MBA at MIT? And also, can you explain how your program was a bit different than, you know, maybe a traditional MBA program? So to the first question, um, why the MBA? It had been on, on my mind for, you know, a good while, um, several years. And I think during COVID, as for many of us, you know, um, of course, a very difficult time, but also a time of introspection and really taking a pause to reflect on who is it that, you know, you want to be, right? What, what is it that you're doing now? Where are you spending your time? What I noticed was that a lot of my time was spent thinking differently, spending a lot of time on women in technology initiatives. Um, I absolutely loved the work that I was doing, had, you know, probably at that time, the best partners, the best colleagues, teams, bosses um, that I could ask for, best stakeholders, most interesting work. And it was really just, you know, stepping back and saying, okay, well, I think I'm on the right path and there's nothing wrong with me staying the course and, you know, continue to be successful and probably, you know, rise to the ranks. But I was really itching for more and that challenge, as we talked about earlier, I noticed that that was going to have to be something very different. And um, the program happened to be, you know, absolutely perfect for that. And I say that because while you can assess, you know, the different MBA programs out there, you have the standard two-year, you have the EMBA, so you could stay working. And I, and I did look at it, to be honest, um, where I could have just kept working. And then I would do, you know, school basically, you know, weekends and maybe some evenings. Um, and then door number three was, well, what if you can't really fit, you know, those two or you, or you don't want to sort of, you know, carve out your time in that manner, um, you can then also being an executive and someone with more experience um, apply for the MIT Sloan Fellows MBA. 
And I believe Stanford has the MSX, but that's a master's, not an MBA. And for me, it was really important to get my MBA. And I also think as a woman, like, you know, let's be honest, you need to be really mindful of um, those three little letters at the, at the end of your name. And more than that, I also, you know, my brother actually had done the Sloan Fellows MBA program. So I got to hear from him directly, you know, how much he enjoyed it, what his thoughts were on the program. And I was also, I think, just very, you know, honest with myself. If I would have pursued an EMBA and had to split my time between working and going to school, it would have been really challenging. And I'm someone who, you know, is certainly going to work really hard at everything that I take on. And I think I would have probably had to pull back a little bit on the education because work would have come first. And that's, you know, my employer. And so it was a hard decision. But after speaking to mentors, to advisors, you know, everyone basically pointed and said, Adela, if you really want to go all in and you want to just, you know, learn and sort of absorb everything that's, you know, in and around MIT, you can only do that if you are not working and you're a full-time student. And so MIT in that regard, through the Sloan Fellows Program, offers just a really, really unique opportunity for folks who have that work experience, who, you know, maybe have not had the chance to make that pause. And I can say it's, you know, also one of the most global programs, I think also partly because of where they're situated, um, you know, access to Europe, and it's just a really cool sort of global hub. And it was it was the best decision. And looking back, um, you know, retrospectively, I could not have been more pleased with the people that I met, um, with the opportunities, you know, that were presented, the resources. And, you know, just thinking right now, it's it's been, you know, almost uh, two years since I graduated from the program. And, you know, I feel like I've already had a whole whole new world and a whole new life sort of, you know, spark in, in 24 months. It's amazing. I also considered the part-time MBA when I was applying, um, but I'm so glad that I did not go that route because it really is true. You just cannot like ingest all the resources mm -hmm. and have all the time to explore and think about new opportunities if you're not in the full-time MBA position. Yeah. And you so know, I'll you just add really quickly too, because I know Ruffin, you're, um, you know, at UCLA and um, just from Looking back, I actually did the women's executive program at UCLA. Oh, and amazing. that was prior to obviously going to MIT, but I call it out because it was such a great way to just take a little bit of a peek of, you know, what does it mean to actually go back and have a class and be in a little cohort? Because we actually had small cohorts, which was which was awesome. And we got to meet people from different backgrounds, different countries, uh, different industries. And we were the first virtual cohort because, you know, we were in the midst of uh, COVID. But I call it out because it's a great program. And so anyone who's listening to this, you know, especially for the women, um, it's reasonably priced. And I just I just think it's like the best bang for your buck. Who is that program geared towards like later, like mid-career? What what stage career? Mid-career and, and onward. Um, you certainly want to have, you know, some type of work experience so you can actually think about um, the exercises that they provide, they also give you a coach, you know, you have these cohorts, mini hubs that you can um, sort of lean on. And I think it it would be great for anyone. But if you really want to get, you know, the most value out of it, I think it's helpful if you have at least, you know, five to seven years of work experience. Yeah. So when you went into the MBA, did you know you wanted to start a VC firm? Or how did you get to that realization? And how did Mile Mark Capital really come to be? I knew going into the program that I was going to pivot 
And it was going to be one of three things. Um, first and foremost, it was certainly going to be, you know, building something on my own. I was very focused on a number of diversity initiatives. I was focused, you know, a ton of my time was on um, women's advancement. And I was even thinking, you know, I'm either going to launch my own platform or I'm going to find, you know, a team to work on something like this with. And it ended up being, you know, launching Malmark and um, helping not just, you know, one or two like women or, you know, sort of um, slices of that that problem that I was trying to solve it ended up being, you know, bigger and better than I could have imagined because now I wasn't just launching my own company, but I was actually working with a team to support, you know, hundreds of founders. And looking at the VC landscape today, understanding that there aren't many, you know, female funders, right? And therefore aren't many um, female founders who are getting supported. It was like just the best timing and, you know, the best of both worlds. But to answer your question, I knew it was going to be a pivot. Um, I just didn't think it was going to be such an incredible pivot and, and so well received. I'd love to hear more about all of your work experience supporting women in tech and women in VC. I know in the time that I've known you, you've been an amazing advocate through All Raise as well as with Girls Who VC. Would love to know like when you started working on these things and you know more about your roles with All Raise now and everything you're up to in that lens. Well, I'm glad that you're able to see it, you know, a little bit of um, what I've been working on. And yeah, for anyone who knows me, I'm probably, you know, at events and running, you know, several initiatives each month um, because I genuinely just enjoy that work. And in fact, it's not work to me. It's just, you know, part of who I am. And I think that's also connected to just, you know, my upbringing and being very aware of what, um, you know, just a quick conversation with somebody, a coffee chat or, you know, just a little bit of time with someone who might be a little bit ahead of you down the road um, can do, I think it, you know, it can be life-changing. So that's sort of like my you know, general mantra, but as far as initiatives, I would say it started, you know, several years ago, um, especially when I was at Sony, I was helped to, helping to lead their women in tech group and opening up, you know, programs for them in Japan and in India, and then running the one in the U.S. When I went to MIT, I was a part of SWIM, so on their committee for the Sloan Women in Management group. And then I was also on the Sloan Fellows Women's Committee. And I would say that absolutely, you know, was um, sort of like a nice bow around my experience there. And then coming out of MIT, um, being in Los Angeles, I was looking at various programs and trying to see, you know, where else I could sort of lean into um, now that I had graduated. And always was one of the first that, you know, came across my um, sort of search and through a lot of great women who I was having coffee chats with, you know, just breaking into the VC ecosystem. Um, several of them mentioned, they're like, I think you'd be really great for this. And as luck would have it, I actually got to meet Paige, who's the new CEO um, of All Raise and Elizabeth Tadas, who was also um, part of All Raise and just had these like very, you know, honest conversations to say, you know, here's what I'm about, here's what I'm doing. And I just felt there was a, a very natural organic fit with also what they were then looking for as they announced that they had, you know, these new committees forming. And so what I ended up um, eventually, you know, um, interviewing for and be being selected to join was their community relations team out of LA for the LA chapter. And that's also in conjunction, you know, in supporting the other hubs, right? So they've got these chapters in Boston, San Francisco, New York, LA, and really it's national. And even if you're not in those hubs, it's a really neat setup because they have a ton of, you know, virtual content. So you can get out there and do just, you know, community building, you can do networking. There's a lot of education, which I think is also a big, you know, part of and sort of what all of us are doing. What you're doing is, you know, 
getting people's stories to the forefront, but then also just ultimately thinking about how can we help women funders and founders and how can we change those numbers? Yeah, what are some events or things that your team is planning in the Los Angeles ecosystem, either upcoming this year or some things you did in the fall? Sure. So actually next week, um, um, actually not next week, uh, tomorrow, there is going to be a um, online, so Zoom um, session from the LA chapter, but again, open to anybody, you know, nationwide um, with sort of that CFO lens. Um, we're going to be planning a couple of events for um, March for Women's History Month. And then for sure, we'll be planning something for LA Tech Week, New York Tech Week. So any of these, um, San Francisco Tech Week, so any of these sort of, you know, call them uh, major tech events, we'll most always have um, always as a part of that. And they're rolling out new events and ideas each month. And so I always say, you know, the best way to stay on top of it is just to go to the website, sign in, subscribe to their newsletter, um, and then also, you know, share ideas, even, you know, myself included, if there's somebody out there and they have a great idea or they think there's a void, um, I'm always, you know, open to, to chatting and seeing, you know, what else we can add um, to sort of make sure that it's a, a well-rounded event. And actually before the holidays, we had hosted an LPGP mixer and we brought in poker power. So you might've heard of poker power, you know, really thinking about the poker playing skills and how that sort of conveys to, you know, business and also women in business and that skill set. Um, and it was just, you know, an absolute pleasure to host that event, but then also just the takeaways, you know, everybody, I don't think anybody left um, without, you know, a glowing review. So we, we were really happy to host that event. Amazing. Well, excited for many fun. I'm not wearing their shirt just by, oh my gosh, just by chance. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I personally believe that the way to get more female founders funded is to get more women into VC and capital check writing positions. So and I'm sure you have a lot of conversations with women who are looking to break into VC, which can be incredibly challenging. I'm curious, what advice do you have for women hoping to break into the space? So I think the first thing that comes to mind is um, really thinking about, you know, what type of company do you want to be a part of? So within the VC landscape, think really, you know, hard about is it, do you want do you want to join a young company right do you want to join like an early stage company do you want to join a more mature organization or get into growth where you're going to rely more on data um or are you okay being someone who's out there networking um working with early stage um companies and then also you know very typical to any sort of job search like what is the role that you want within the organization right so what are your real um let's call it you know strong suits you know are you a data person are you an analytical um are you thinking more like, you know, the investor relations role, the business development role? So really thinking about that holistically. But, you know, more broad strokes, it's also a real, I think, um, challenge for individuals who are just hearing, um, you know, what we see is this really cool industry and I'd like to be part of it um, without having done the homework, you know. And so I always encourage folks to first just get out there, have the coffee conversations, go to the networking events, you know, find someone that you can really um, sort of identify with and maybe just have an honest conversation with them about, you know, what does their day to day look like? Um, VC is, is not, um, you know, for the, for the quick, um, you know, and, and this is like the, the long game, right? And so everything that's at a different pace, it's slower. You have to be patient. Um, but I always think that a lot of people don't hear about how difficult it can be and the challenges. And it's very similar to a startup, right? You're starting your own company, you're setting up foundation, 
And while startups are looking just for, you know, investors on one side, um, at a VC firm, you know, you're sourcing for deals, you're looking for startups, and then you're also looking for investors, right? So I would say it's um, even more challenging. But really also thinking about that, you know, risk profile, right? Like what is your your profile and, you know, risk averseness, right? I mean, are you going to lean into it or is it maybe something that you think is really interesting and you're more cut out for a corporate job, which is totally fine and you need that financial stability um, and of course you can go that route. But yeah, I'm seeing a lot of people, um, you know, have their interest peaked, but um, by conversation two, I can tell that um, it's maybe not something that they want for, you know, the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Who would you say VC is maybe not right for? Yeah, I don't think it's ideal for someone who um, is not sure about where they want to be just yet, right? So again, not to say that you have to have, you know, tons and tons of years of work experience, but you have to have a real draw to the industry and the type of work that you want to do. It's going to be really hard to, A, you know, get in the door if you don't have that, right? Because you think about how many people are clamoring to get internships, to get, you know, fellowships, to, you know, get an even, um, just do a summer program. And it's it's a very competitive field. And if you don't know exactly, you know, what you're doing yet or, or why you're doing it, um, I think you're better off maybe just, you know, dabbling in the entrepreneurship ecosystem, maybe, you know, work for a startup. There are a ton of people who actually come from a startup world and then get into VC because they understand it deeply and truly. But again, if you're looking for something that's more comfortable and structured and you like to just check in and check out, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the role, right? It's going to be really hard because most of your colleagues are going to be working, you know, it doesn't have to be around the clock all the time, but for me, my schedule is very flexible. And when something needs to get done, I get it done. I don't really draw the line and say, well, you know, it's a nine to five. It's not for someone who wants a nine to five. Yeah, definitely not. And especially not at a new fund because it's mm -hmm. a startup in itself, which is so interesting to learn. So as we start to wrap things up, um, I'm asking all investors to choose a startup or VC term of their choosing and explain it for us. Sure. So um, as we talked about a moment ago, you know, just thinking of how um, these firms are set up, we have on the left side, let's call it the startup. So we're always like sourcing. And on the right side, we have our investors, but you might hear the term limited partner when you're like, well, who is a limited partner? So a limited partner is essentially the investor, right? So each firm is going to have a group of limited partners um, and they are going to essentially, you know, feed into the fund. And then that's going to be the capital that we have as, you know, the organization to then invest into the startups. But it does get a little confusing because you hear this this jargon and, and you really don't know what someone's talking about. So just remember, you're a limited partner. That's really the investor into the fund. Yes. Who maybe, what are two or three examples of an LP? LPs come in different um, shapes and sizes. So um, I would say right now, actually in the news quite a bit, you hear of Bank of America, you hear of institutional investors. That's an institu institutional investor, right? It's going to be a larger organization. Um, they usually jump in and fund, you know, more on fund two and fund three. Um, you also have individuals. So you might have, you know, you hear the term high net worth individual, right? So these are all credit investors as, as a foundation, but those would be individuals who are investing. So for example, um, you always hear about Mark Cuban, right? He's supporting a ton of really cool companies. He's supporting a lot of really cool funds. Um, he would be a high net worth individual. And then you also have the example of family offices. 
So literally what it sounds like, um, there are families who actually have that sort of work and committee and office structure to assist in their investments and in their entire investment portfolio. Um, and they also are looking at times to, you know, either invest with startups or with funds. Amazing. And my favorite question, can you share a female founder, investor, or leader who inspires you and a bit about why? So, so many people come to mind. Um, I'm going to mention two. So Paige is the new CEO of Allraise, and I have to, you know, give her a shout out because she's done an incredible job sort of, you know, taking the reins and really focusing on, you know, what we need to be looking at now versus when Allraise started in 2017. And just seeing the work that she's done in less than a year has been remarkable. So if you don't know her, certainly, you know, look her up, follow her, and um, hopefully get a chance to meet her at some of the Allraise events as well. And then the second person who comes to mind, um, self-made, you know, just love following her story is Arn Arlen Hamilton, Backstage Capital. Um, just a really, really incredible story um, as to how she's built um, her company. Um, she has, you know, just gotten actually the likes of Mark Cuban and other notable investors to support her. But really, truly, you know, just seeing somebody who came from absolutely nothing, has built this career and has an incredible following and everything that she does, you know, just admire and, and find so inspiring. So definitely check her out if she isn't on your radar already. Both are definitely on my radar. Awesome women to highlight. I'm actually mm -hmm. hopefully going to have Paige on um, this spring at some point on the podcast. Perfect. Very excited about that. Perfect. Um, and then finally, where can people find you and where can people find Milemark Capital? So Milemark um, is on LinkedIn. And also you can just go to milemark.capital. And I am most active on LinkedIn and Instagram. Amazing. I will make sure to link all of those things in the show notes. Um, and thank you so much for being here. This is so fun as always to catch up. So excited to finally have you on the show. Thanks so much, Ruffin. And thank you so much for all of the great episodes and information that you're bringing, you know, front and center. I think it's so deeply appreciated.